Good afternoon in the East, good morning in the West, and welcome to Transport Topics Live on Web. I'm Jonathan Reiskin, Associate News Editor of Transport Topics, and your host for the hour. Our topic for today, Tuesday, April 14, is logistics at its broadest level as TT unveils its 2015 Top 50 List of Logistics Companies, a project overseen by senior features writer Dan Berth. We're joined here in TT's Arlington, Virginia offices by a logistics practitioner and an industry analyst. Dwayne Long is chairman of North Carolina-based Logistics and the chairman of American Trucking Associations. Evan Armstrong is president of Wisconsin-based Armstrong, Armstrong and Associates. Excuse me. We'll also be bringing you some recorded interviews from even more industry experts. Our three valued sponsors bringing you this live on web are Genco Distribution System, Global Trans, and PC Milers. You can learn more about them at the bottom of this article page. We encourage you to join our conversation online with questions and comments during the program. You can send them by email to share at ttnews.com or by entering them directly on this article page. Trucking is an important component of logistics, but the industry also includes freight brokers and forwarders, warehousing, dedicated contract carriage, and supply chain management. Let's begin with Dan. In reading over the um, supplement, Dan, that you spent so much time working on, compiled a lot of great stuff, uh, it's, it's clearly the case that there's a lot going on in the industry now. Perhaps you could give us um, an overview of what you found going on in the industry and the market today. Yes, thank you, Jonathan. Um, 2015 is shaping up to be a banner year for mergers and acquisitions involving both trucking and logistics companies. Um, one of the most prominent deals of the year so far was FedEx's purchase of Genco, and uh, that uh, deal alone moved the company from number 30 on the list last year to number 10 this year. Uh, and just last week, FedEx announced it's going to buy, uh, try to buy TNT Express in Europe. So um, there's a lot of money, billions of dollars, that are being spent right now to acquire logistics companies. And even if your company is not one that, that is being acquired, um, you will have to compete with those that are being acquired or are receiving inf uh, influxes of capital that will make their companies larger and more capable. So it's going to affect everyone. And uh, what was interesting to me in, in uh, reporting on this story this year was that uh, many people see the industry being split into two, two halves. Um, large players and small players and uh, I think what we're going to see in the future is uh, companies uh, having to choose whether they want to be part of a bigger company uh, providing a full range of logistic services or try to be small and specialize in a certain niche service. One of your sources had a great analogy that I really enjoyed about an hourglass with a lot of very large players up top, a lot of very small players down below and a disappearing middle, I think the phrase was. This leads us somewhat to uh, Dwayne Long. Thank you for coming. Um, pleasure. From what I understand, your company, Logistics, in the Research Triangle Park of North Carolina, has gone through a lot of changes. Maybe once upon a time, there was a time where you tried to say yes to everybody about everything, but lately you have narrowed your focus. You provide a very select range of services, work very hard on that sharp focus. Tell us how you managed to put together logistics, what it does, and what were the stimuli that you were reacting to to get you to make these changes? 
Well, thank you, Jonathan and Dan and mm -hmm. Evan. It's good to be with you. And ladies and gentlemen out there on the web, it's an honor to be with you today. And as you know, the chairman of the ATA gets invited to all kinds of different events. And when I was invited to participate here with Transport Topics, I said, I love Transport Topics and I want to be there. So I'm happy to be here today. And yes, I do have a 40-year perspective, uh, 10 years uh, working in the transportation industry before I became an entrepreneur in 1984 when my wife and I started our companies. And we started our companies with $500 and a dream, and that's like a lot of other people have done in the past. Thousands of family companies are still this way. And we were growing very rapidly. Being in the Research Triangle Park region, that's the really the highlight of our state as far as high-tech, biotech, pharmaceutical companies. And our company was starting to do business with these companies in the 1980s as they were growing. And we were growing so rapidly that we were up to about 2,500 employees and we were spread out over about seven states. And my wife and I made the strategic decision that after looking at that, that we wanted to focus better on what it is we were then doing best and become more of a niche company. Now part of that came from the fact that we were approached by venture capitalists, other companies that wanted to see if they wanted to buy our company. And you gotta remember, I was in my 40s at the time and I wasn't ready to give up ownership of my business. And I, you know, how many, how many hours a day or how many days a week can you play golf? I uh, felt like I wanted to continue to work. So what we did was we wanted to have a situation where we could be in control of our own destiny with our team of people and with our customers. And we made that decision and we became a niche company. We were big, we were medium sized, and now we're small. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the components in logistics. I think it's warehousing and some trucks. What do you, what do, you do and how do the two halves fit together? Our, two specialties that we focused in on is pharmaceutical transportation by truck. We have our own fleet, which we own and operate, and we have our own employees that we train and that we work with on a daily basis, taking care of our customers. Then we have warehousing, and this is in buildings that my wife and I decided to own. We are in the real estate business as well, and our specialty there is foreign trade zone management. Now, in, around the world, it's called FTZs, free trade zones, but here in the United States, we call them foreign trade zones. And that's where an imported shipment can come in and be stored or uh, manipulated or uh, worked on, and then there's no duty paid until it, that product goes outside, and it could be exported mm -hmm. where there's no duty applied at all. Mm -hmm. So there's a cash flow reason for that. So that's been our two main specialties warehousing, trucking. So you're asset based on both sides, the logistics and the trucking side. Yes, we are. Mm -hmm. I bet you have some pretty stiff regulations you have to follow for these bonded uh, free trade warehouses. Yes, we do, Jonathan. Mm -hmm. I doubt it. Um, <laughs> for uh, another perspective on uh, the shape and size of the logistics market today, we're pleased to have with us Evan Armstrong, president of Armstrong and Associates, a logistics research and consulting firm based in Wisconsin. Um, Evan, what can you tell us about the size of the North American or U.S. Uh, logistics market today? And everyone says it's going to be growing. What's, um, 
What are the factors driving that growth in the demand for logistics services? Thank you, Jonathan. I'm happy to report that the state of the third-party logistics market in the United States, states is very good. Um, right now we're working on our final numbers, but in terms of interim, it looks like uh, the overall U.S. 3PL market grew 6.2% to $155.5 billion in 2014. And in terms of the uh, individual segments, um, we've seen the, the highest growth with domestic transportation managers, the freight brokers and network transportation managers. Uh, DTM uh, grew at 10% to $54.1 billion. And we also looked at what the potential market is now. So in the United States, when you look at the, all the modes, all of what's happening in the transportation side, um, we really we estimate that the potential market for domestic transportation managers is uh, 380 billion. So the, the level of penetration is still pretty low, and as we know, there's there's still a lot of uh, market fragmentation uh, in that market. Um, two of the um, uh, companies of note, as I believe Dan Dan mentioned, one of them, um, Coyote and TQL, uh, both are you know Coyotes reached two billion with the Access America acquisition and TQL is on their way there. And it's, it's interesting because both have very different uh, brokerage models. On the international transportation management front, um, we're still hampered by uh, slower import activity, especially out of Asia. And I know some of the hope is that the stronger dollar is going to um, help improve that activity. But it grew 4.5% last year to 48.3 billion. In terms of dedicated contract carriage, the, um, the driver shortage and ongoing capacity issues um, have definitely helped the DCC market, which uh, looks like it grew to about 12.8 billion in 2014, or 6.7% year over year. And value-added warehousing and distribution is maturing. Um, it's really a lot about size and scale, and when you look at large and mid-sized players, in the uh, general warehousing space, uh, you know, a lot of them have those network, um, those networks that are across the, the nation. So, uh, value-added warehousing distribution is about a $37.2 billion market segment now. Overall, from 96 to 14, uh, we estimate that the 3PL market has grown at a compound annual growth rate of 9.4%. Uh, that's a fairly staggering number, 9.4% year after year. I don't know anyone who wouldn't take uh, a return on an investment like that. Evan, when you, you mentioned Asia, is, uh, is the problem that you saw on Im imports from there related to the West Coast port shutdown that we've seen for most of the early part of this year, or are you talking about something with legs on it that's ongoing? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really, you know, uh, about five years ago, the, the Chinese economy cooled. And we've seen the repercussions of that. If you look at some of the volumes out of Asia and what's happening on the import side, it's really due to the, the Chinese economy. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's the biggest part of it. Uh, we have seen some you know, nearshoring activity, reshoring activity, which is going to impact it. But it also means there's more opportunities in terms of cross-border trade and, and cross -border, handling cross-border trade for 3PLs. But so NAFTA yeah. is doing well. Yeah, so NAFTA is doing very well. I mean, if you look at, if you keep following what's going on in Mexico, especially along the border, um, Fiat's making investments, a lot of automotive manufacturers, 
keep on making very, very large investments, and, uh, and the cross-border activity is very solid. A lot of providers, you know, C.H. Robinson, I visited their Laredo operation. Uh, TransPlace has a Laredo operation. A lot of major 3PLs based in the U.S. have definitely taken note on, on cross-border trade. Hmm. Mm -hmm. um, our readers have been very interested already. They have written in questions days before, um, in some cases, uh, we started talking here. Specifically, um, Allison Fentress writes a question that might be good for you, Dwayne. Uh, she wants to know, she wants to talk about technology. For um, trucking or logistics firms today, what do you think, or what do you see as the biggest technology-related pain point for a firm today, and are there any technology issues you think are creeping up on us in the next year to five years that will have to be addressed? Well, I do, and uh, thank the lady for her question. I have a long history in thinking about technology. In the 1980s, my company was the first trucking company to put a satellite tracking unit on its truck in North Carolina. And in the 1990s, my company was also the first trucking company to establish a website. So technology is very important in my business. And when I think about technology for the future, I believe that technology that would help the transaction of the shipment itself, when it takes place, the transaction so that everybody could be paid right then, electronically, that would be a very big leap, if you will, in the way the logistics industry operates. I'm talking about when the transaction happens from the shipment to another customer, that's paid right then, the title passes. If there's a, a third party logistics company involved, they're paid. If there's a trucking company involved, they're paid. That way everyone's cash is equal, it's working at the same time, and it makes a better business transaction. I think we have that capability today, I don't think anybody's perfected it. And so we also need to make sure that all of the systems work with the various shippers that are out there, and all of them have different uh, enterprise systems, if you will, and uh, you have to make sure as a logistics company you're capable of dealing in different systems over a system-wide network. That's, that's critical. So the, your accounts receivable, accounts payable people, they're typically dealing for trucking companies today in, in what sort of range? Is it a week, two weeks, or more? More. Even more? Yes. So and then because of that, what you have to do is basically as a trucking company or small business, you have to finance a, a customer uh, and for a period of time. So that's a, that's a barrier for growth. Companies that have, of course, a lot of cash, uh, they, well, cash is king. Mm -hmm. in any business, and it certainly is in the trucking industry. Mm -hmm. So the quicker that you can transact the payment of that, then of course everybody's a lot happier. Mm -hmm. we, we also have a question from Neil Click, uh, which I think would perhaps work best for um, Evan. He, um, he notes that logistics costs as a percentage of gross domestic product in the United States have historically been a little bit lower than for other advanced countries, say Europe or Japan. And I wonder what you see happening in the next, say, five years or even more if possible on that, on that trend and, and, and why. Yeah, when we develop our logistics cost estimates, the big drivers are tend to be infrastructure, so roads, rail, 
um, what's going on within specific geographies, countries, major regions. Um, in terms of the U.S., you know, there still are, if you look at a lot of shipper operations, there still are quite a few silos between divisions, uh, between operating units, and even within companies themselves, there's divisions between purchasing and the logistics people. Um, so some of those barriers still exist. Those barriers create waste. Those, those w that waste gets reflected in, in logistics costs. Um, on the, so you have that going on within organizations. Also on the inventory carrying cost piece of it, which is over you know, 300 billion, about a quarter of total logistics costs, um, inventory management becomes critical. Um, you know, how are we managing inventory? Are we putting down inventory clo too close to our plants? How should we better engineer our inventory placement? And you know, luckily there's applications that can help 3PLs help people with uh, those decisions, and uh, it's definitely something that needs to be looked at. And then trucking's the largest component, right? Trucking's over half of the total logistics cost. So, you know, what's nice is there are packages like Mercury Gate and some other TMS providers that, um, you know, it's very easy to convert LTL to truckload, to build multi-stop truckloads, and and make your uh, transportation management much more efficient. Uh, the problem is that, you know, those tend to be driven by 3PLs and, and, you know, 3PLs provide TMS as a resource in addition to providing capacity, but overall better network optimization, better transportation selection would definitely help take out uh, logistics costs. So couple ideas there. So Dwayne is looking for a um, smoother payment process, making that more efficient, but it sounds like perhaps in the delivery of service of optimizing networks and, and selection of transportation modes that we might be able to see improvements on that too. Yeah, there's, I mean, there, there's still waste in a lot of areas, and it, it still amazes me today. It th takes me back to my days at, when I was at C.H. Robinson and other companies on the 3PL side that there are still today there's there are, you walk into a customer and they still don't have visibility to their inbound transportation you know and we're sitting here in 2015 and mm. we thought it would have changed by now so mm. but it's, uh, it's it's still a challenge mm. uh Dwayne a uh, Mike San Sansurin, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, writes and, and wants to take advantage of, uh, you said, your 40 years in trucking basically he wants to know what is the best strategy to grow a small trucking firm well, thank you, Mike, for that question. I believe the best strategy is to, first of all, hire the best people that you can, smart people, get the best talent you can, and then let them do their job. And last but not least, simply stay close to your customers. Make sure you know what the customer's needs are and find a way to serve those customers better than anyone else. There you get it, 40 years worth of experience. Um, yeah. Dan, you did a tremendous amount of work in interviews on the um, Logistics 50 supplement. Um, what else can you uh, tell us about, about your researches there? Yes, thank you. Um, I think it's important for everyone to uh, recognize that both trucking and logistics companies today uh, require a heavy capital investment. Uh, for trucking, obviously, uh, there is investment in equipment, uh, terminals, real estate, and so forth. For logistics companies, uh, the big investment item is technology and talent. Um, and uh, 
as the need for, um, for money to run these businesses grows, um, what I think you'll see is uh, more of a division, more separation in the market between trucking and logistics companies because I think it's going to be possible to, uh, um, for non-asset based logistics companies to uh, have more control over freight capacity um, through the use of technology and, uh, and, uh, and trucking companies I think are more focused on um, finding freight that fits their needs as opposed to hauling all kinds of freight for all kinds of customers, right? So um, uh, the, the companies that can match the need with the capacity I think are going to do extremely well as time goes by. Um, speaking of capital, as you were, uh, I know you spoke recently to Brad Jacobs, the CEO of XPO Logistics. Mm -hmm. I, I think he spoke uh, to you a lot about the issue of investment and, and what to do with investment in logistics. So um, let's see the uh, video we have of Dan's interview with Brad Jacobs, the CEO of XPO Logistics. I, I could be wrong, but my hypothesis is based on what's gone, what's happened in other industries that started off as fragmented and over time consolidated into uh, a situation where you had two or three players that had anywhere between 50 and 80 percent of the market, and every large players had significant advantages to their size. Their cost structure was better. Uh, they could afford to invest more in SG&A, the breadth of customer relationships was bigger, the diversity of service offerings they had, the level of integration, uh, the more comprehensiveness of the business was an attraction to the customers, and the ability to uh, fu function more leanly and more effectively. So my, my guess is that this industry will, over time, uh, resemble other industries. Speaking today with Brad uh, Jacobs, the CEO of XPO Logistics. Brad, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You've had success in consolidating other industries, including waste management and uh, equipment rental. Tell us why you chose to enter the logistics business and what makes logistics such an attractive target for investment right now. Well, I love the logistics business. It's got a, a lot of good things going forward, first of which is its size. I mean, how many other industries have $3 trillion of business going on worldwide? And you can go into that $3 trillion and find subsectors of it that are fast growing, that are in greater and greater demand by customers. So if you look at our last mile franchise, where we're number one, we're the largest last mile logistics provider, it's growing from the outsourcing trend from retailers, you have an e-commerce trend going, and we have a very differentiated service offering there. If you look at our intermodal where we're not number one, we're number three, and that's growing from a uh, trend to go from, for, for some portion of freight to go from over the road to cheaper rail, and you also have the near-shoring near -shoring trend in Mexico, which is fueling that. You have a truck brokerage industry, which is a large, large market to go after, and you have 10,000 truck brokers, and this is big market share shift going from the 9,900 and some odd smaller brokers to the handful of bigger brokers who have competitive advantages over the smaller ones. And then um, you look at Expedite, where we're number one in Expedite, and that's being, uh, few, the growth of that's being fueled by just-in-time inventory. And then contract logistics. I love the contract logistics business, and what attracted me to that was the 
the stability of the, the longevity of the relationships with the customers, the non-commoditized nature of the relationship. And then over and above that, so we have these leadership positions in these areas of logistics that are the fastest growing, that are in great demand, but then we have the complete package. So it's an opportunity to have a conversation with customers, particularly the larger ones, about their entire supply chain from soup to nuts. And I find that very attractive. And I know you're convinced that uh, we'll see more and more outsourcing of transportation services by shippers, right? I am. I am. Because whether it's a retailer or a manufacturer or some other type of business, it's not their core competency to manage their goods, the supply chain. That's, that's not what they do for a living. That maybe they have a small division that does that. Whereas uh, 3PLs, like XPO Logistics and like some of our great competitors, this is what we do for a living. This is, this is what we have experts in. This is, we have people who've been doing it for decades. It's a real core competency of ours. And it makes sense for people to outsource their logistics to experts, in my opinion. All right, very good, thank you. You've been quoted as saying that you expect logistics to be dominated by a few very large companies and a large number of small firms and specialized service providers. Um, explain what, um, what you think, why you think that will be the case and what are the forces that are driving that change in the industry? Well, I, I could be wrong, but my hypothesis is based on what's gone, what's happened in other industries that started off as fragmented and over time consolidated into uh, a situation where you had two or three players that had anywhere between 50 and 80 percent of the market and every large players had significant advantages to their size. Their cost structure was better, uh, they could afford to invest more in SG&A, the breadth of customer relationships was bigger, the diversity of service offerings they had, the level of integration, uh, the more comprehensiveness of the business was an attraction to the customers and the ability to uh, fu function more leanly and more effectively. So my, my guess is that this industry will over time uh, resemble other industries that um, have a two, maybe three leaders uh, that have advantages over all the smaller players. And I'm committed to XPO Logistics being one the 2015 Top 50 List of Logistics Companies. Mm. We welcome your questions and comments by email at share at ttnews.com or by entering them at, on the article page. The interview that Dan did with Brad Jacobs is available in full. That was just a snippet, but there's a, a, the full interview is available on the uh, www.ttnews, our website, uh, for the uh, live on web. Um, Evan, I would like to turn to you a little bit about what Brad said. Um, in terms of, uh, we've had some interest in, in, in the valuation of uh, these acquisitions. Um, Dan did a really good job in the supplement of documenting uh, acquisitions that were made right after the bottom of the recession, the trough in the 2010-2011 period. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that was a good time to be a buyer of companies. Now it's accelerating. Uh, you guys mentioned uh, FedEx buying TNT, for instance. Is is this now a seller's market for uh, the M&A world, or how do you see it? Well, it's a reflection of the economy coming back, and, and really uh, logistics companies doing much better 
it is a, uh, a good time to sell, especially with multiples as they are, and a good time to take, a, take a company public, but varies by the type of company. So okay. if you're looking at a uh, domestic transportation manager of, of any size, the multiple is going to be uh, 10 times EBITDA. You know, if you're talking about a company like Coyote, who's going to go public, I imagine when Coyote goes public, it's going to go to, you know, for a multiple, uh, even higher than that. So significant multiples. Um, still a, f a favoritism to uh, non-asset-based companies versus asset-based companies because of the uh, returns on invested capital. And you know, I can tell you, we, d we do M&A activity, and we're, it's been a fairly active last two years. We helped uh, carry logistics with its IPO and helped uh, NOL uh, divest APL logistics. So. Also, I understand that you, you've worked with uh, Brad Jacobs. What can you tell us either about him or his operations? Uh, the hardest thing about XPO is keeping track of the number of acquisitions now. <laughs> 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 no, but he's made, uh, made quite a few and it has, has, is growing it according to, to plan. So, uh, yeah, we did work with Brad initially on, on developing the plan before he bought Express One and then for some time after that, um, and you know he's he's got a, He's got a, a plan. He's got a, uh, He's executing the plan. He's growing both organically and then through the multiple acquisitions. And he has a lot of a lot of pieces to uh, be an integrated supply chain manager. So uh, you know the real question is you know when will it start being you know more profitable and and you know get it get it going in, on the uh, the other side of the financial side. But right now I think the investment community is. Being fairly forgiven with it, forgiving with them, uh, given the uh, level of investment, and uh, definitely letting them run with it and uh, take it take it to where it can go. Okay, now I'd like to turn uh, our attention to the top of the uh, Logistics 50 list, specifically uh, UPS Supply Chain Solutions. Um, Dan was talking to one of their executives, Alan Amling, a vice president of global logistics and distribution marketing for uh, UPS Supply Chain Solutions. And uh, let's uh, roll the clip on this to see what Dan had to say with Alan Amling. <laughs> UPS is best known for its package delivery services, we know. Yet UPS Supply Chain Solutions has been ranked to number one or number two on our uh, top 50 logistics companies list since we started publishing. I think a lot of our uh, readers and viewers would like to, to hear <clears throat> more about why UPS is involved in logistics in the first place and uh, maybe describe your overall strategy uh, for doing more logistics work for your customers, please. Absolutely, all right. So first of all, thank you very much for this honor. It's quite an honor for us. Um, and logistics, well, you might've heard, we love logistics and it's been really part of the transformation of our company back from a, uh, a d delivery company, a small uh, delivery company in, in Seattle to a global provider of supply chain solutions. And really the reason that we're doing that is because our customer needs have evolved. So as our customer needs have evolved, so, so have we. And so the transformation over the last 25 years of adding ocean freight forwarding and distribution and UPS freight and a whole array of supply chain services 
has all been about providing complete solutions to customers. And we've been building that network slowly over a number of years. And it's really led us to our latest brand platform, which you might have seen uh, during the uh, basketball playoffs, which is uh, uh, United Problem Solvers. And it's all about solving customer problems. And the broad array of solutions that we're building allows us to do that. Do you feel like UPS has in place today everything that it needs to provide logistic services, or are there still some things that uh, you would like to acquire or build uh, to provide more complete services? Oh, we are always looking to either build, partner, uh, purchase to to continue to expand our portfolio. But again, it's really about where the market's going, what the customer needs are. You know, we're looking at, you know, big areas like emerging markets and uh, global e-commerce and healthcare and the changes in aerospace. And we're really letting that knowledge of what's happening out in the industry dictate what are the next things that we do to uh, increase our portfolio of services. You mentioned healthcare as one of the industries that you're catering to. And, and, yes. And uh, it would be, I think, interesting to hear more, a little bit more about that. What have you done for that industry? And what other industries do you think will require similar kinds of uh, services? Yeah, so, yeah, healthcare has been a big focus for UPS for, for a number of years. And, you know, what's driving that, getting back to the customer, is an aging global population. Right. So there's an increasing need for healthcare services. And at the same time, that industry is becoming much more complex, highly specialized uh, medical devices and any and other healthcare services. Um, it's highly regulated and that regulation is continuing to evolve and it's under tremendous cost pressure. So when when companies are are feeling those dynamics, that's, uh, that's when you would bring in a 3PL to see if you can streamline and improve uh, your supply chain. And this particular supply chain requires a lot of um, really specialized capabilities from GMP compliant warehouses to uh, uh, temperature sensitive trans transportation um, to pharmacy services. There's a number of things that, uh, that this, this industry requires to run. Mm. Okay, thank you. And what, what other industries do you think will kind of follow this pattern uh, of outsourcing its transportation and logistics work? Yeah, yeah, good, good question. Yeah. Um, so there, it's not just one industry. One industry that I would say has a lot of similar characteristics to what we're seeing in healthcare is aerospace. Mm. So aerospace, highly regulated, highly complex. It's a high value, um, high value item. It's got to be there when it's got to be there, and that's something that uh, is perfect for a company like UPS with a broad array of capabilities that are global. But really, if you look at other industries, take uh, the what's happening in direct-to-consumer or 
or e-commerce and omni-channel, that the, the customer has access to the greatest source of power since the dawn of time, and that is information. And they are changing the supply chain. And you've got, you know, new companies like Alibaba and Amazon that are changing consumer behaviors. And when consumer behaviors change, the supply chain has to change to service them. So if you're growing quickly, uh, if you're um, expanding into emerging markets, do you really want to put capital uh, in those emerging markets as as you expand and as you uh, meet those omni-channel needs? You know, those are things that are so complex, it's not really a uh, core competency for most companies. Oh, so those are the things that you outsource. A good discussion, Dan. Thank you. I think everybody's always curious what Big Brown is up to. Um, we've had a number of questions who have come in, that have come in about um, freight hauling capacity by trucking companies. How many trucks are available? Um, even if you're a non-asset-based carrier and you think that's a good business model, at some point you're going to need actual trucks. Um, we'll start with Dwayne. How do you? How is the uh, status of capacity? for freight hauling in the trucking industry. Is it um, impinging upon the ability to move freight? And if the capacity isn't there, how do you skin the cat and get around that? It's, I think, one of the number one issues that we have in logistics and trucking today. The capacity is tight, and it's getting tighter. And it's going to get even tighter. And it has to do with the fact that, as we all know, a lot of the truck drivers out there today are baby boomers like myself, and the demographics are such that they're retiring, and we do not have enough young people coming into our industry. All of us in the trucking industry and in the logistics industry, we need to encourage young people to join our industry. It's a great industry, but we need to explain to them what we do, because we're also not as well known as we need to be. We need to promote ourselves better, and we're working on that. But I believe that a successful logistics company in the future, whether they're asset-based or non-asset-based, they have to figure out a way to buy capacity. The smart shippers are doing that now. They're contracting with their suppliers in more than just a one-day-at-a-time transaction. You have to have a length of time. You have to talk about the volumes of it. And this is the way you're going to be able, as a successful company, succeed in the future by basically guaranteeing your capacity. We were talking a little bit earlier and the discussion got to load boards, which is an interesting use of technology to smooth out information and provide it instantly, but you were a bit skeptical about the long run uh, future. I am, and uh, it's because, uh, by the way, I love owner operators, the one truck people, but the thing that's a problem for them is that if they are relying on going from a truck stop to a truck stop and looking at a load board trying to find shipments to handle for their next load, that is not a sustainable business model. Because? Because they have to make their truck payment, they have to feed their family, they have to have revenue, and in doing that, they're not guaranteed a situation where they can get that next shipment. They are at the mercy of what's on that load board. So long term, it's not easy for them to succeed. 
yes, there are owner operators who have been doing this for 20, 25 years, but in the future, they're going to have to connect with one or two, maybe three companies. Uh, one would be best, and stay with them, work with them in that capacity, and make sure they have something that they're doing every day, every week. Is this kind of the FedEx ground or, or Landstar system model where people are, are owner operators or business capacity operators are linked fairly closely to uh, those, firms? Those companies have taken that business model and they're doing exactly what I was just talking about. But there's still thousands of owner operators who are not contracted with one company. And they're, again, basically at the mercy of these you know, load board type situations. And I, I feel for them because they're good people and they're trying to live the American dream. You know, own their own truck, own their own business. And so we, we have to find out a way to help make them successful as well. You said you have 40 trucks. You thinking of 45 maybe? <laughs> well, our goal is to have 100. So we want to double in size. And that's by because when? By this time next year. Huh. I, have a, I have a young management team now, and they're ready to grow. And I'm glad my wife and I are ready to support that. Tell hmm. them it's easy to get the trucks doing. It's hard to get the drivers. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, in your discussions with um, uh, shippers and 3PLs, uh, what are you hearing about the capacity issue? Uh, capacity's tight. It's come back a little bit because of a little more, less activity in the, the fracking areas. So it has freed up a little capacity as the price of gas and oil has come down. Uh, but it's going to remain an issue. Uh, one thing is that we're, we're, we've been working a lot in Mexico over the last three, four months. And in Mexico, there actually are some very good motor carriers. And right now, they're, only li they're limited in terms of where they can operate. Currently, they can handle international shipments, the ones that have the operating authority to do so. And there's over a dozen of them. They have the uh, authority to handle international shipments up into the United States. So, you know, in terms of capacity, we could do more on, on the uh, work visa side. We could do more more work with um, our, our the carriers south of the border, and that would definitely help free up capacity. I think, uh, you know, given the growth of the non non asset providers, the the, the domestic transportation managers, there's definitely enough capacity, and they really help manage that capacity, you know, going back to Duane's point, point better than, than um, load boards because they're actively managing it versus some type of passive um, systems approach. Speaking of... Um, oh, well, one, one, oh, one other note, Jonathan, sorry. Um, but in terms of dedicated contract carriage, you know, one thing we did see, Hunt's uh, DCS um, um, uh, power unit count went up 24% last year, and riders was up 22%. So that tight capacity is translating in some of that dedicated contract carriage growth, and we see it with some of these large guys and the way they're growing now their this fleets. Is, this is an interesting point. You're, the, are, you, are you saying that people are so hungry for capacity that they're moving from a basic over-the-road model to dedicated contract carriage where they say, buy the truck, manage the truck, and I'll take care of the whole truck for four to five years? Yeah, definitely. If, if you're, especially in, in shorter haul, round-trip type moves, it makes a lot of sense to go to a DCC model um, you know, just to make sure you always have capacity, especially if it's like an inbound uh, JIT manufacturing environment. So, um, you know, that plays right into DCC. You mentioned uh, the management of 
uh, shipments by brokers. And speaking of brokers, um, Dan is going to be going down to Orlando, Florida fairly soon to take part in the Transportation Intermediaries Association meeting in Orlando. He will be talking about the uh, logistics uh, top 50 list that he has compiled. And recently, Dan and I spoke with Bob Foltman, the president of TIA. And at this point, I'd like to uh, do a clip from the uh, Voltman interview that we recently had. We're joined now by Robert Voltman, president of the Transportation Intermediaries Association. Bob has run TIA on a daily basis since 1997. Earlier in his career, he worked for the National Industrial Transportation League, the U.S. Interstate Commerce Commission, and a Lone Star State native. He's also worked with the Texas House of Representatives. Thanks for joining us, Bob. And Dan Berth will be starting the questions. Thanks, yes. Jonathan. Yes, and welcome. Thank you. Uh, Bob, for, for those who may not be familiar with uh, the Transportation Intermediaries Association, could you tell us uh, a little bit more about who the organization represents and what will be the focus of your convention this week in Orlando? Sure. Thank you. Uh, TIA is the voice of the third-party logistics industry in the United States. We were founded in 1978 by the then 14 licensed property brokers in the United States. Mm. <laughs> um, and over the years, we've grown. Um, the, we represent all aspects of the industry. Our primary member is brokerage-based, uh, but about a third of our members are asset-based companies. About a third of our members are involved in warehousing ocean freight, air freight, so we cover the whole gamut. And we're probably the only organization that does cover the entire spectrum of third-party logistics. Bob, the um, <clears throat> industry seems to be consolidating these days, and with that consolidation, there's investment from um, outside capital. From what you see in your segment of the industry, uh, what have you seen happen so far, and how do you think this is going to change the way that logistics services um, are provided to shippers? I think what's going on in the marketplace with consolidation is really exciting. Uh, the level of involvement from Wall Street and um, other investors, uh, the growth of private companies within the marketplace is super exciting. Um, but we don't see this as like a roll-up industry. What we see it is, is a natural progression as the industry matures. Um, and then we see some striation of the size of companies serving different sizes of shippers and providing different levels of, of services to them. And the way we talk about it is, you know, you think back to when Lowe's and Home Depot were expanding. And it was going to be the death of the small hardware store. Yet, we still shop at a village hardware or the local hardware store because they provide unprecedented service. So we're not, we're excited by what's going on in the marketplace with, with the investment, the level of sophistication, the level of recognition the marketplace is receiving. But we're not worried that we're gonna end up with a half dozen or a dozen large companies. Do you think that there's going to be a tendency then for very large shippers to work with the largest brokers as compared to small to medium size um, shippers are going to work with the corresponding uh, brokers and forwarders? You know, I, 
it's anybody's guess what the future will be, but that's, yes, that's what I think. Um, now there'll be room to play with, with smaller players at local DCs, but we do see that kind of... Distribution centers, you mean? Yes, okay. thank you. We do see this kind of striation versus size. Um, the one thing that equalizes this industry as opposed to others is there are a number of third-party software vendors that provide the same tools at um, a really affordable price for the smaller and mid-sized players to offer the same level of service and sophistication as the biggest players are doing. You're watching TT Live on Web, the 2015 Top 50 List of Logistics Companies. Um, that was uh, good to hear from Bob Volpin of TIA. And as is the case for all three of our interviews with uh, Brad Jacobs, Alan Amling, and Bob Voltman, um, we, we brought you a clip from them, but the whole interview is uh, very much worth it. They run more than 10 minutes each. You can get the whole interview for all three of them um, by going to our website, ttnews.com. We have had several questions about uh, drivers and merging that with acquisitions. Specifically, people are, have wondered if the need for drivers is so critical these days that trucking companies are buying trucking companies or logistics companies are buying them just so they can get the uh, staff of drivers. Have you seen that or what, what have your observations been, uh, Duane? Yes, I think that is driving a lot of this acquisitions and mergers of trucking companies. The critical shortage of professional drivers. I think the companies that are going to be successful with doing that, though, have to recognize that the companies that they are acquiring, every company, by the way, has a culture. And the successful companies that are merging all these companies together, if they can get the culture right to take care of people, they're going to be successful because at the end of the day, the people drive the trucks and the people are going to serve the customers, and that's the way you're going to be successful. You can have financing, you can have the Harvard MBAs, no offense to anybody there that's Harvard, <laughs> I don't mean that in, in a bad way, but you can have all of this out there, but if you don't have people driving the trucks, driving the forklifts, maintaining the trucks, then you're not going to have a business to take care of your customers. The culture of taking care of those people and appreciating them is something we all need to concentrate on. So thank a truck driver later today for doing their job. <laughs> Shake their hand, say thank you. I'm sure they would welcome that. Uh, to um, borrow from something that Alan Amling was saying at UPS, um, they've been doing healthcare logistics for quite some time. And I think, uh, Evan, you said you had some um, experience or thoughts on, on healthcare logistics. Sure, no, uh, there's definitely a trend. When we look at the uh, Fortune 1000, domestic uh, 3PL revenues, um, healthcare is, is the fastest growing segment right now. Traditionally, a lot of it was managed by distributors, and then there's different buying groups within healthcare. And what we've seen is um, a lot of, you know, manufacturers especially looking at, you know, how can they work directly with the 3PL to provide end-to-end -end service for their customer and then skip some of those purchasing organizations within healthcare. So, you, you know, you've, there's, there's a, a company called Geislick that works with Menlo. I've seen, uh, 
a UPS operation. UPS does a lot of vaccine delivery. Um, I saw an operation where they have uh, skin grafts for uh, di diabetic ulcers. Very interesting operation as Tell well. Tell us so, about that. I mean, so if you're transporting live human tissue, that's that's a different kind of load. <laughs> yes. So, so in there, it's, this was down in Louisville, and hopefully that person's okay as we talk about <laughs> healthcare. <laughs> right. Um, but they they maintain skin grafts at minus 50 degrees centigrade, and and they have a pick pack operation, so they have to pick this skin that they farm. Um, the manufacturer farms, and they pack it out in the dry ice, and that goes out to the uh, doctor's offices so they can actually apply the skin graft. And one of the most interesting parts of that is that I guess the skin was all harvested from the same person. So, wow, <laughs> kind hmm. of an interesting operation. Dwayne, how about you in pharmaceuticals? Do you have any uh, particularly unusual things you have to do in your warehouse in terms of uh, order fulfillment? Uh, that, are, that are probably different from uh, cans of paint or um, popcorn? Well, obviously we have the regulations that we have to follow, the government regulations, but yes, we have temperature sensitive controls that we have, and also security is important. At my company, we're ISO certified, so you have to have this, the types of procedures that you follow over and over and over again, and you execute that to at least 100% if you can every day for what it, the accuracy of what you're doing. Hmm. At this point, I'd like to go back to uh, Dan and talk about uh, the supplement he's put together, the uh, TT um, Top 50 Logistics Companies. And it seems that um, there have been some changes in this publication. It's perhaps a little bit different. Do you think you could uh, tell us about what's inside the uh, cover, Dan? Yeah, sure. Very quickly uh, to let people know what, what's up. Uh, the first change you'll notice this year, uh, Jonathan, is that we're publishing the list in April. Uh, traditionally, we've done this in the fall. Um, uh, but we moved it to April so that we could uh, publish uh, a list and coincide with the, the TIA annual convention. Uh, we want to work closely with uh, this group in the future to help identify logistics companies and track the, the growth of this, this industry. Uh, we also want to continue working uh, with our friends at Armstrong and Associates uh, who are very instrumental in helping us uh, with uh, data that we use to, pr uh, to make estimates of revenue for, for many of the companies on our list. So, um, What about uh, the membership of the list? Who's who? Well, um, uh, just re re very quickly, uh, at, there's not much change at the top. Um, we're UPS, uh, JB Hunt, uh, uh, are number one and number two, uh, where they were a year ago. Um, the biggest change, I think, uh, this year was FedEx uh, making the top ten, right, uh, by virtue of their acquisition of Genco. Um, so this puts them in the same league as UPS, uh, I think, in terms of their capabilities and logistics, and represents, uh, you know, a significant change in strategy for that company. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what both of uh, UPS and FedEx do in the future. Um, Speak, speaking of FedEx um, actions, uh, as somebody mentioned, um, the TNT European acquisition mm -hmm. is pending. Your uh, supplement, though, this is uh, North American, yes, not uh, global? Correct. Uh, we're ranking companies based on their business in North America. So we'll, we'll watch the TNT FedEx acquisition, but it's not going to change the list directly? No. 
Um, a couple other things, Jonathan, uh, that's worth mentioning. I think uh, this year you'll notice that we've expanded our sector list uh, to include more than 25 companies. Uh, we hope that's helpful in giving a bigger, a better picture of who the competitors are in uh, the individual sectors like freight brokerage, forwarding, warehousing, and dedicated contract carriage. Um, Next year, you know, we want to continue this process and maybe add some additional sectors. And we're also thinking of maybe somehow making the, the list itself longer uh, to include more companies. Um, you know, logistics is a, a business that is not only growing, but it's expanding its um, range of services, the, the things that it can do for shippers and for carriers. So um, we want to try to try to rethink the way we present information about logistics companies and maybe be a little more comprehensive and, and uh, track some of the new things that they're doing, like final mile delivery logistics, for example, is a, a fast-growing specialty. So we might focus some attention on that in the future. Um, but yes, yeah, so we, we hope uh, you enjoy uh, the, the Top 50 presentation and, uh, and that you will um, stay with us as we develop it more in the future. Were there any highlights from the se uh, segments? I noticed you've got a dedicated contract carriage segment, uh, um, warehousing, brokerages, any, anything from the segments? Uh, well, um, yeah, sure. Um, in brokerage, uh, I think everyone knows that there's, uh, there's one company that dominates that business. and. Uh, uh, but there are several other uh, fast-growing brokerage companies that are making their marks, and Evan pointed them out earlier in the conversation. Um, um, I think well, it's interesting to me that uh, both the biggest company in that field and, and some of the smaller companies are, are all growing. Um, to me, that suggests that this is a market that is continuing to expand, and uh, there's apparently opportunity for, for all the players. Um, so in warehousing, um, uh, we have a kind of a similar situation where we have one company that is a very dominant warehouse company with, uh, and that's XL. Um, and, uh, uh, but we have uh, some uh, new players like Lineage Logistics, which is a company that has been buying up uh, uh, other warehousing companies and right now is uh, becoming a very uh, large uh, provider of cold storage capabilities. I think it's probably the second largest in the industry after AmeriCold, right? Um, so um, you mentioned dedicated contract carriage, and Evan earlier uh, talked about the growth of, of the fleets, and, uh, and uh, I, I could add to that uh, Swift Transportation is uh, another company which added more than 1,000 vehicles to its dedicated fleet over the past year. So that's, that's a very... Um, uh, a thousand more dedicated trucks. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. So for, for some companies, this is a, um, a very a big and, and growing business. Evan, I know you slice and dice the industry on a pretty fine level and, and look at it. Any, any other uh, highlights that uh, you found from the segments of the industry that are uh, worth mentioning? Yeah, I think, you know, Dan, when we work with Dan in terms of putting the list together, uh, you know, I think he's done a good analysis in terms of looking at the the individual providers. I, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot going on on the M&A side. I think one thing I do want to mention is, you know, what we see in terms of when we work with companies on 3PL strategy is, you know, you have kind of the size and scale plays, right? So if you look at 
XBO, if you look at Norbert Dentrisangel, um, some of the guys making a lot of acquisitions as to get size and scale in terms of capabilities. Then, you know, like when we work with smaller companies, you know, there's, there, there are companies that are focused on continuous improvement, right? Com continuous improvement, lean management are, is a very good way to differentiate your 3PL. So if you look at some of the leaders like Menlo, Transplace, um, Genco has always been very good in uh, continuous improvement, and that will be helpful to FedEx as well. Also, there's, uh, there's also targeting strategies, right? Right now, most 3PLs are doing pretty well, and have grown pretty well. So it's like, you know, what 3PL segment do you want to work in? A lot of value-add warehousing and distribution 3PLs we work with are interested in expanding, and a lot of times we see domestic transportation management as a way to expand that, or working with different customer uh, vertical industries. We talked about healthcare earlier, um, which takes a lot of requirement, but if you're doing food and grocery now, it's probably pretty easy to move into some consumer packaged goods or even get into contract packaging, which we're seeing a lot of, with a lot of smaller guys. And then, of course, cross-border. What is it going to take to be a cross-border provider? Um, you know, and how can you tap what's going on with nearshoring in, in terms of Mexico? So you know, those are a lot of different areas that we see. Duane mentioned in terms of employment that if you're looking for a job and you can drive a truck, that that's a fine <laughs> thing. But Bob Voltman also told um, Dan and me uh, elsewhere in the interview, I don't think it was in the part that we broadcast, that, that for 3PLs, uh, a big issue for them is trying to get uh, enough people to work for them. If you need a job, uh, what are 3PLs looking for? Well, I can tell you my daughter, who's a junior, is going into supply chain management. Good for her. And she gets a lot of internship offers. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's, it's, I think if you have, you know, if you're a hard worker, this is, and, and you know, or can think and multitask, this is a very good industry to be in. And uh, I think in terms of talent, I mean, every 3PL grows as fast as they can grow their talent. So it's a, lot of it, a lot of it's about managing people internally, having the right company culture, a lot of what Duane alluded to. Um, on, the, on the carrier side, it's much harder because of the CDL requirements, uh, what happens with visa requirements. So, um, and just the fact that traditionally truck drivers are, it's, truck driving is not a, uh, a glamorous uh, position, right? So, um, so it's, it, I think it's going to be an ongoing challenge. And when you look at the compound annual growth rate of the 3PL market being, you know, two, three times that of gross domestic product, it's not a surprise, right? Our industry is growing so much faster than a lot of other industries, and it requires people and people and people. Mm -hmm. In the supplement, one of Dan's stories talked about the, the state of the market and said that um, 06, excuse me, the current status of the, the logistics industry market is uh, the best it's been since 2006 and 2007, which is a fine thing to hear, and I'm glad. The only problem is I remember that after 2007 came 2008 and 2009. Our, just to be the skunk at the garden party, um, we're, we're not near a bubble bursting or the, um, we're not near a cliff moment, are we? Is this a sustainable growth, you think, for a few years? Well, we had a, a perfect storm, but I think this year should be a pretty good year. Uh, I think there's a real leaning towards the domestic transportation management side of the market uh, in terms of growth. You know, value-add warehousing distribution is a little bit mature. 
dedicated contract carriage is mature, but due to driver capacity, we're seeing some growth there. And really, you know, when we look at the global 3PL landscape, I mean, really, where you really see growth is in India, greater China, and then back to North America. Again, with the nearshoring cross-border activity, NAFTA activity, um, you know, we're do doing good. And then, of course, Europe is very uneven. Some countries are doing uh, much better than others. But um, in terms of growth, it's going to be uneven depending on country. And, uh, you know, I think the, the U.S. is in pretty good shape, and hopefully we don't have a a weird occurrence or a perfect storm again in terms of the financial collapse. Duane, if you're talking about going from 40 to 100 trucks, you must think that uh, this is sustainable at some rate? I do. In terms of the business climate? Yes, I do. What, what are you hearing from your customers and your customers' customers? I tell people that my customers, they're all mad at me. They're not mad because we're doing a poor job. They're mad because I can't handle all their business mm -hmm. that they're offering me. Uh, and it's because we have, just like a lot of companies my size and the large companies, we have this shortage of professional truck drivers, and we are working extremely hard to make it more attractive to join not only my company, but other companies as well. That's our number one situation. Business is there. I agree with Evan. I think we're going to have a very good year the rest of this year. I think next year looks good. I don't want to get too far out with that. but. Uh, I'm very encouraged about the way our economy looks, about the way the world looks, uh, and just remember that the Chinese word for logistics is ulio. Don't forget that because the Chinese are out there and they may be asleep during our webs camp today <laughs> because it's, it's after one o'clock in the morning there, tomorrow morning. But the Chinese with 1.3 billion people and a lot of very large Ulio companies, uh, they are coming to the United States and to North America. So that's, that's a prediction I have. Okay. One, one of our uh, readers wrote in about KPIs or key performance indicators. Uh, for both of you, let's start with Evan. What, um, what do you like to measure in terms of when you're looking at logistics firms, just individual firms, and how they're doing? What do you like to measure and what's important to look well, at? I mean, there's, there's some basic measurements like inventory accuracy, um, dock to stock, um, cycle times, uh, on-time delivery performance. Those are some of the keys. Usually in contracts, you'll put, say, a half dozen uh, KPIs within the 3PL customer agreement and measure those and have different scenarios that happen or if the performance isn't met. So, um, you know, so those are some of the basics. You know. Shipping accuracy, you know. How about you, Dwayne, as chairman of Logistics? Um, what do you like to hear from your people? What do you measure to make sure things are going as well as you would like them to? Well, we have internal measurements that we survey everyone with, but I think just a measure of are you happy at your job? This is what's important. Uh, are you happy with things that are going on in your life? And how does your job affect that? I think that's the most important thing for people to consider. This is uh, an interesting topic, and normally I think we could go on for quite some time. But at this point, I would like to um, start wrapping things up. And I'd like your closing thoughts from Evan first and then Dwayne about anything you've heard here today, anything you'd like to emphasize, any warnings you would like to uh, let people know about, or what, what 
uh, how would you like to close this out? Uh, we'll start with Evan. No, I think, uh, you know, definitely third-party logistics did very well in 2014, and we see it doing significantly, uh, you know, significantly well in uh, 2015. And, you know, in terms of warnings, no, no dire warnings. Um, I, I think that, you know, we hit main, the main topics in terms of capacity, cross-border, uh, what's going on with, with freight brokers in terms of growth and, um, you know, just continued growth is, is what I'm seeing. Dwayne, what do you see? Well, I'm, first of all, I've really enjoyed listening to Evan and Dan and the other people who were on our web uh, camera earlier. Uh, this has been uh, fun. It, the time has flown. I've enjoyed myself. And uh, I think we have a great industry. And I just can't wait to see the next 40 years. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. And as we finish, I'd like to thank the TT staffers who work behind the scenes to make this production possible. Kevin Eaton, Brandon Green, Gary Kasinski, Tara McClelland, Shihab Mustafa, Jacqueline O'Laughlin, and Joe Terry. Thanks also to Duane and to Evan for joining Dan and me here in the offices, and to Alan Amling, Brad Jacobs, and Bob Voltman, who joined via Skype. Tell your friends and colleagues who missed this that there will be a replay available. It will be uploaded shortly to our website, ttnews.com, and also to YouTube. Once again, our sponsors for today's Live on Web are Genco Distribution System, Global Trans, and PC Miler. If you would like a downloadable PDF of the top 50 logistics list, our sponsor, Transforce Driver Staffing Solutions, has made it possible for you to get that on ttnews.com. We've also created a survey so viewers can provide the feedback and help we need to improve Live on Web programming. If you have an opinion, please visit liveonweb.ttnews.com slash survey. You can also find a schedule of upcoming events at our Live on Web homepage, including Tuesday, May 12th at noon Eastern, when we'll examine U.S. surface transportation infrastructure and federal funding for it. I'm Jonathan Reiskin. Thank you for joining us. Good luck with your taxes, and have a great rest of the week.